0: If you would, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. We're gonna be in verses 35 through 49. 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. If you're flipping in your Bibles, you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. So we're gonna go to 1 Corinthians and then look for the big number 15. If you're using one of the Bibles provided there, the blue provided ones, that's gonna be on page 961. 961, and if you don't have a Bible, Consider that one yours. It's a gift from us to you, and we pray that you would uh, spend time reading that Bible, marking it up, and meditating on it. And if you're using one of those Blue Provided Bibles, you'll find 1 Corinthians 15, just in the bottom right of page 961. And it's just, this is just our normal practice. So when it comes to, if you're, again, if you're new with us, when it comes to the way that we structure our services, each week we have preaching. And each week we try to go from passage to passage through a book. Just expositional preaching. Letting God's word speak for itself. We're not trying to bring any innovative message to you. We're trying to let God's word be proclaimed clearly. And so we have gone through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we've gone passage by passage. We haven't skipped any verses. And there have been some doozies. (laughs) But now we are in chapter 15. And this whole chapter focuses on the resurrection. And what we see in in this chapter is we see this question that many skeptics have today, but even the church in Corinth had then, of how does the resurrection take place? If it is true, how can it take place, and what will it be like? Now, Paul is writing to this young church in Corinth. He went to Corinth, proclaimed the gospel, people received it, a church was birthed and they had some correspondence back and forth. They wrote him a letter, and now he's writing back to them here in 1 Corinthians, and he's addressing some of the questions that they had, some of the issues that he had heard of. This is a young church, and it's in a very pluralistic society, so there's all kinds of religious practices in Corinth. And so there are probably some skeptics who were laying charges against the church, saying, hey, these dead bodies go to the ground. How in the world are they going to be resurrected? Some of them were torn apart. Some of them were drowned in the sea. Some of them have been dead for so long, they're decomposing. How do these bodies, how are they supposed to be resurrected, you Christians who believe in the resurrection? And so some some of these Christians were likely having the same questions. And Paul addresses that in his letter to them. Now, Paul is writing, and he's addressing a lot of issues that he's heard. He's addressing some of the questions that they had. But throughout his whole letter, there's a common theme, a common melodic line, so to speak, of what this letter is trying to hit on. And Paul is consistently coming back to unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants this church to be unified, not in their favorite Bible teachers, not in their little minor theological differences. He wants them to be unified in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the resurrection is central to that unity. And so as we look at chapter 15, we've we've seen already Paul argue in the first eleven verses for the resurrection of Christ. He's laying the foundation. There's a resurrection of Christ. And then he talks about how there will be a resurrection of the dead. And now he addresses what that resurrection body will be like. So he's progressively working through this resurrection idea. And in these chapter, excuse me, these verses, verses thirty-five through forty-nine. Paul is laying forth the argument that our future resurrected bodies will reflect the image of the one we're presently trusting. Our future resurrected bodies will reflect the image of the one that we're presently trusting. And so I will read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we will go through verses 35 through 49. So starting in verse 35, Paul says this. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body As he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory for the sun, and another glory for the moon, and another glory for the stars. For star, differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great hope that we have in the resurrection. We do pray that as we look at this text, that we would be moved to reflect the image of the man of heaven rather than the image of the man of dust. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So in your bulletin, you will find that this text has been broken up into two sections. Verses 41, or excuse me, 35 through 41, and, for, and verses 42 through 49. So Paul makes his argument, and then after making his argument in that first point, we see in verse 42, he says, so, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. So that first part of his argument is him making the argument that we should go from death to glory. And if you see in your bulletin, you'll see that blank there, from death to glory. And the second part is that we would go from dust to heaven. So from death to glory and from dust to heaven. Look at verse 35. So we see Paul here, after addressing the resurrection of Christ, he now addresses the resurrection of the dead and what that body will be like. And he does that by introducing a hypothetical debate partner. So he, he says, someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? The how and the what question. How's it going to happen? And what's that body gonna be like? Natural questions to be asking, especially with this uh, relatively new concept of someone being raised from the dead and us being able to have that same resurrection. And so on the surface, they seem like valid questions. However, Paul addresses that there's actually some foolishness to these questions. Now, I would be curious, too. Like, how's, how's this going to work? Is this new resurrected body going to be similar to the body that was buried? Is it going to be susceptible to injury? Can this body die? Is it going to be susceptible to illness and sickness? Is it going to be susceptible to age? This whole last week, maybe because it was getting colder, this whole last week, my left knee was just killing me. I don't know why. I didn't do anything tremendously <laughs> physical to try to bring any injury to that. But for some reason, it just has been, has been hurting me. And the only thing I can chalk it up to is just I'm getting a little bit older. Now, I'm not looking forward to what the next, Lord willing, 10, 15, 20 years will be on that knee. But my age, I'm recognizing that this body is decaying. And it's decaying at a pace that I'm not terribly comfortable with. And so they are having these questions of, will this resurrected body be similar to the body that was buried? But Paul points out, that there's some foolishness to this question. In verse 36. He calls this person a foolish person. And he likens it to sowing seed. So he points out this, this person is foolish. Because this person believes in the harvest. He says what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And so Paul likens it to sowing seed. He, he's, with, when it comes to seeds. These seeds they were once attached to a life source, the plant, a living plant. But in order to, to scatter those seeds, to bring about more life, they have to be detached from that life source. And they're detached from that life source, and then they're buried in the ground. And they don't bring forth life unless they die, unless they are buried. It's similar with us. Paul points out that it's foolish to think that the same power that consistently year after year after year after year raises dead seed to life, will not be able to raise the dead to life on the day of judgment. He points out that if you believe that dead seed can live again simply by burying it, then you can believe in the resurrection. Martin Luther points it out this way. He says, our Lord has written the promise of resurrection. Not in books alone, but in every leaf in the springtime promise of resurrection is there every time we see new life come up from the Dead Sea. However, Paul presses even further in with this illustration. He's not done with it yet. He uses it to answer the question that they have. So first, he uses it to answer the, the what question. And he answers in broad terms. He'll get more specific later, but he starts off by answering in broad terms. And so he answers it in two ways. He says that our resurrected bodies will be different our current bodies in verse 37 he says and what you sow is not the body that is to be but then he also points out that these resurrected bodies will be greater than our buried bodies they're, they're, I mean the, the Corinthians could have thought that our resurrected bodies will be worse I mean they're coming from death so they could have thought hey are we gonna be walking skeletons or are we gonna well how's this gonna work we're we gonna be really frail He says it will be different, it's not the body that's to to be. So they're probably wondering, is it gonna be worse or better? But he says it's gonna be greater because he calls it a bare kernel. Perhaps of wheat or of some other seed is what he says. And no one who's hungry would take a bare kernel of wheat over a full wheat stock. The wheat stock is greater than the kernel. And so now, after answering the what question, that it's different but it's also greater, he now answers the how question. In verse 38, he says, but God gives it a body as he has chosen. So the Lord will determine what our resurrected bodies will be like. Not all resurrected bodies are going to be the same. Paul makes this point. He makes this point as we look at verses 39 through 41. Now, he breaks this up into two categories. He gives an earthly category and a heavenly category. In the earthly category, verse 39, he points out that there's, Uh, not all flesh is the same, that there's a kind for humans, animals, birds, and fish. And then in verse 41, he says that there's a a different kind of glory for the sun, for the moon, and for the stars. And right in between that, in verse 40, he makes the point that heavenly bodies, the sun, moon, and stars, are different than earthly bodies. So he's broken the categories up like that. And then he breaks each category up into their various different kinds. You see the earthly with the with the humans, the animals, the birds, and the fish, and the heavenly with the sun, the moon, and the stars. But then he breaks it down even more. So it's not just that all stars are the same. He says, but even star differs from star in glory. So to summarize, Paul is getting at with this first point, is that God has determined that there will be a resurrection of all the dead. That all humanity will be resurrected. Acts 24, 15 says, there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So it's not that if you're not in Christ, you won't experience a resurrection. You will. However, even though we are considered earthly, even though we're considered the flesh of of humans, there's still going to be a difference even in that. Our resurrected bodies will be different, and they will be greater than our buried bodies. But there will be variations in Of humans who are resurrected. In terms of glory. We see this even in God's creation. He makes the point. Just as in creation there are variations, so will be in the resurrection. Verse 38, Paul Paul says, God gives each kind of seed its own body. Now those variations within humanity, they'll be based on righteousness. Be based on righteousness. And those who have entrusted themselves to Christ... They get to wear Christ's righteousness. And so they get to have a resurrection like his. He clothes Christians with his righteous deeds. And he takes their sin upon himself. Second Corinthians. Paul, when Paul is writing again to the Corinthians. He elaborates on this, this. This putting on of righteousness. This wearing it like a cloak. He says in, in chapter 5. As he's referring to the body. He says, for in this tent we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us, for this very thing, is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And then in verse 10, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. As Paul says, we long to put on our heavenly dwelling. He's talking to Christians. Christian, you long to put on Christ's righteousness and to experience the resurrected body that righteousness, Christ's perfect righteousness has awarded you. Not because of what you've done. Nobody here is going to be able to have a resume that earns a glorious resurrected body like Christ. But if you have confessed your sin you entrusted yourself to Christ to remove that sin and to give you his righteousness, then you get to wear his righteousness. And you will have a resurrection like him. And so if you're not a believer in here this morning, thank you for being here. Hope that you feel welcome and continue to come back. But if you're not a believer, are you prepared to appear before the judgment seat of Christ as Paul talks about there in 2 Corinthians 5? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Are you prepared for that? Is there any sin that you have not confessed and repented of? Because if there is any sin in you, any, then you will not inherit a resurrection like this. Christ's resurrection was because he lived perfectly. And if you have not lived perfectly, you will not inherit that resurrection. If you have sin, it needs to be paid for. The question is, who's going to pay for it? You, or are you going to entrust Christ to have paid for it on the cross? God has made a way through his son for that sin to be removed. Christ himself entered humanity. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. and He was resurrected on the third day with a glorious body. And that's the only way that humanity in the resurrection will inherit a glorious body, is through Christ. He says himself in John 6, verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then he says in John 14, just in case you're thinking, okay, great, that, that's, that's one way that it can happen. I'm sure there are other ways. I'm a, I'm a tolerant person. I'm sure there's other ways for us to receive this. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's one way to receive this glorious resurrected body, and it's through the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so if you're not prepared to appear before that judgment seat, if you're not prepared to stand before Christ and be judged for what you have done, please feel welcome to find me afterward find another Christian here afterward. We would love to have that conversation with you so that you can be prepared to meet Christ. You don't have to be embarrassed to have that conversation. In fact, there's no other conversation we'd rather have with you if you're not a believer. We would rejoice to have that conversation with you. But Christian, in light of this resurrection, our hope in this resurrection should free us from the fear of death. It should lead us to be willing to take gospel risk because we know that this life isn't all there is and that we are promised an eternal and glorious resurrection in Christ. And so we're willing today to take gospel risk, even if that puts us in danger. Even if that means our kids want to go to an unreached area that is dangerous, we can rejoice in that because we know that this body isn't the final body that we will receive. But also, Christian, glory doesn't happen apart from death. We must die to ourselves. And a, random, or a question that might come up when it comes to how do we die to ourselves, is, what does that look like? How do we do that? It's nice to say die to ourselves. What does that actually mean? Well, it's at least a few things. It's acknowledging God's ways are better than our own. It's turning away from our own way. And submitting ourselves to God as our master, to Christ as our Lord, is pursuing righteousness. We fight against sin. We don't get comfortable with it. We don't give it a long leash. We don't make excuses for it. But when we fall into sin, we sprint to Christ. We run, not walk, to our Savior. Satan will try to convince you that you're not ready to go to Christ. You need to wallow in your sin for a little bit. Don't buy into that. Go to him immediately. He came to earth so that your sins may be forgiven. So go to him quickly. Don't put it off. To be glorified, one must die. However, glory is only realized if we're transferred from dust to heaven. So we look at these next few verses. So look at me in verse 42. Paul now gets into the more specific differences when it comes to the resurrected body and the body that dies. He says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So we see the lesser, what is sown, moving toward the greater, what is raised. Perishable to imperishable. There's, there's no more death. These resurrected bodies will not perish from dishonor to glory, from weakness to power, from natural to spiritual, friends, what is to come is greater than what is present. If you are in Christ, what is to come is greater than what is present. And so if you're a Christian today and you are sick, maybe it's a cold or maybe it's far more serious than a cold. Whether you are sick for a couple of days, whether you're sick for years, if you are a Christian... You can find peace knowing that you will not be sick forever. You will not have to bear that burden forever. And in the resurrection, 10,000, 10 billion years from now, you're going to think, those 70, 80, 90 years that I had here are nothing. I haven't been sick in 14 billion years. This is incredible. I I lost my dad in 2015 to cancer. I cannot wait for the day when cancer is an absolutely irrelevant topic. That's going to be glorious. This life is brief. Christian, find peace knowing that you will not be sick forever. There is no sickness in an incorruptible and imperishable body. But then after making the point that we go from the lesser to the greater, Paul points out how that takes place. And he talks about the first Adam and the second Adam. So in verse 44, the second part of that, he points out there's a natural body, and then there's a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So... We go first Adam and last Adam. And as he goes through those verses there, he he categorizes these two. So the first Adam has a natural body. He became a living being. And he's from the earth. He's a man of dust. The last Adam, on the contrary, is a spiritual body. Now, that doesn't mean that he's just spirit. Because it says spiritual body. So there there is a body there. So he's a spiritual body. But he became a life-giving spirit. The first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And then the last Adam, rather than being from the earth, is from heaven. And so we bear an image. We all bear the image of the last Adam. We're all in Adam. If you want to read this further, you can look at Romans 5. Romans 5, if you want to write that down, is a very helpful passage for understanding this first Adam and last Adam and who we're in. The question is whose image will you bear at the resurrection? We all at one time bear Adam's image. Our bodies are frail, man of dust. Our bodies are frail, they're decaying, and they will all soon taste death if Christ doesn't return. But Christians, gradually, as they confess their sin, as they receive the Holy Spirit through their conversion, Christians gradually, one degree at a time, begin to look more and more like the man of heaven rather than the man of dust and reaches that final culmination in the resurrection. Where we can see as clear as ever that that person is marked by the man of heaven and that person is marked by the man of dust. Second Corinthians 3.18 points us out. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's not our work. It's not us trying our our best, apart from Christ, to look more like Christ. It's confessing our sin. It's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then he fills us with his Spirit, his Holy Spirit. And then because we are filled with his Holy Spirit, we begin to walk in greater holiness. It's his work in us. We love holiness. We love righteousness. It's not us trying to be self-righteous by any means. Scripture is firmly against that. But it's us beginning to walk in it because He has placed His Holy Spirit in us. Then we get to enjoy holiness more and more until finally, the resurrection, we get to enjoy it for eternity. Romans 8.29 elaborates this even further. For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so Christ's glorious bodily resurrection was the first among many. He's the firstborn. He still has preeminence as as the firstborn, but there are many others to have a similar resurrection. Christ's followers will experience the same kind of resurrection as Christ. We follow him in death so that we may follow him in resurrection. This is what baptism signifies. You're buried in an ocean of grace and you're raised up A new creature. It foreshadows the resurrection. And those who are not in Christ, they will experience resurrection, but it will be a different resurrection. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Way of Glory, puts it this way. Classic C.S. Lewis, Way With Words. He says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. And he elaborates, To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. Because we're all heading to one of those eternities. We will forever be marked by the man of heaven or forever be marked by the man of dust. One commentary put it this way. That the short answer to the question of what kind of body will we receive is that the resurrection body will be incorruptible, glorious, powerful, spiritual. That is, it will be like Christ's resurrected body. And so if you're trusting Christ to remove your sin, if you're trusting Christ to be your righteousness, then your resurrected body will be like his. Paul, when he's writing to the Philippians, points this out. He says the Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. So when it comes to what kind of bodies will we have, they will be like Christ if you are in Christ. But it's not the case for those who have resisted Christ. They will be resurrected, but it will not be like Christ's resurrection body. And so Christians, brothers and sisters, this this is a reason for us to take the good news of the gospel to those that God has placed around us. Because as C.S. Lewis said, we're all headed towards one of those eternities where we creatures so magnificent that we'd be tempted to worship it or another one that is so horrific that we've only seen it, if at all, in a nightmare. The love of our neighbor should compel us to think about their eternity and then take the gospel to them. Share the good news. Find ways to talk with them about what Christ has done. Have them over to your house. Talk with them out in the yard. Bring them into your backyard for a cookout. Whatever it is, find ways to connect with those that God has placed around you, whether it's your neighborhood, your workspace, where you go to the gym, wherever it is, find ways to take the gospel to those places. C.S. Lewis continues with that quote. He says, all day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities that we should conduct all our dealings with one another all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors Or everlasting splendors. So how are you helping others toward one of those ends? An immortal horror or an everlasting splendor? Let's be in the business of taking the gospel to others so that they may enjoy the everlasting splendor that is found in Christ. So the question for us is whose image will you bear? Will it be the man of dust? or Will it be the man of heaven? For those who are not following Christ, consider him. Consider Christ. Confess your sin to him. And confess your need for him as your savior and as your Lord, as your master, as the one you entrust yourself to to guide you every step of your life. Entrust yourself to the man of heaven so that he may usher you into heaven itself. And if you are a follower of Christ, root your hope in this resurrection. Be willing to take gospel risks. This life is so brief compared to eternity don't spend your life chasing the glory that this world offers run the race inherit the glory that Christ offers that Christ has secured and gives freely to all those who ask him for it the glory that is found in the resurrection one theologian put it this way he said the good news of the gospel is resurrection it is a reversal Instead of Adam stammering from his hiding place and looking back at angels with flaming sword as he's removed from God's presence, we have the Son of God thundering out of the grave and angels announcing the miracle. This is a new day. So when it comes to Adam, notice these, these differences between the first Adam and the last Adam. Adam rebelled against God, hid himself, received punishment for his sin, and was banished from God's presence. Now, the last Adam reverses that. He ushers us back into God's presence. He was in the presence of God prior to entering humanity. He enters humanity to take the punishment that sin deserves for all who repent and believe. And then, unlike Adam, he did not hide. In fact, he was shamed publicly on a cross where he paid for the sin of all those who are his. And then he was faithful to the end. He reverses what the first Adam did. Our future resurrected bodies will reflect his image, the man of heaven, or the image of a man of dust. Our future resurrected bodies will reflect the image of the one we are presently trusting. Who are you presently trusting today? Are you trusting the man of heaven? And there's only one. There's only one man of heaven. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Or are you trusting in some version Of the man of dust. Let's pray. Father. Thank you. For your word. Thank you for this. Incredible hope that we have. In the resurrection. Where we can't even imagine. What our resurrected glorified bodies will be like. But we look forward to it. In Christ we pray. That you would come back soon so we may experience this resurrection. Lord, we pray that if there are any here who have not entrusted themselves to you, that today would be the day that they give themselves over to you, that they confess their sin and they receive you as the one who saves them from their sin and you as the one who is their righteousness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.